Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Protests across the United States have intensified since last week over the death of George Floyd, a black man whose gasps of I can't breathe while in police custody were caught on video in Minneapolis. Many protests have been peaceful, but in several cities, tensions have escalated and violence has erupted. With unrest growing, President Trump decided to address the nation from the White House's Rose Garden on Monday in a televised speech. Moments before he spoke, though, police started to forcibly push out a crowd of peaceful protesters from Lafayette Square, just outside the White House. Police fired flashbang shells, gas, and rubber bullets into the crowd. Nearby, in his speech, the president said this. Today, I have strongly recommended to every governor to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers that we dominate the streets. Mayors and governors must establish an overwhelming law enforcement presence until the violence has been quelled. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. The president of the United States threatened to deploy active duty military personnel to states to help quell violent protests across the country against the will of state leaders. So can he do that? Does the president have the power to deploy the military inside the U.S.? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. Given the urgency of this moment in our country, we're bringing you a special episode today to answer critical questions about the president's power to use the military on American soil. For answers, I turn to national security reporter Matt Zapatosky. Monday night, Trump gave a speech that was televised. And before we get into the details of what he actually said in that speech, can you describe what the protest situation was like at that point outside of the White House? I wasn't on the scene, but from watching television and seeing the feeds of our reporters were on the scene, there were at least hundreds of people gathered outside of um, Lafayette Park, which is this park right in front of the White House. And they're they're very peaceful from the videos I've seen. I mean, a lot of yelling and, and putting their hands up. But from what I could see, no bottles were being thrown or anything like that. So as Trump is getting ready to speak, there are these loud demonstrations right outside his home, but peaceful demonstrations. And as Trump's speech got underway, what began to happen to those peaceful demonstrations? Well, just before his speech got underway, the police moved in on them. There were mounted what looked to be park police officers who drove the crowd back. It appeared from a video that a flashbang or some kind of little explosive went off. There was either smoke or gas deployed in the area. So the protesters were just moved out. Okay, so that was the scene at the moment. Of course, it's set on the backdrop of escalating violence and growing unrest both in Washington and across the country since the end of last week. Can you just sort of describe how tensions have grown over the past week and what's been going on in this country? 
Yeah, tensions have grown exponentially. It was only last week now that a man named George Floyd uh, died at the hands of police in Minneapolis. A video caught an officer kneeling on his neck for more than eight minutes while he um, cried, I can't breathe. That sparked protests that initially started in Minneapolis, a lot like we've seen with other deaths of black people at the hands of police in recent years. And those protests have just magnified. I mean, it's now dozens in virtually every city, definitely every major city across the country. Some have been quite violent. There's been incidents of looting and vandalism and property destruction. But there's also, of course, been thousands of people just peacefully marching um, and yelling in the streets. Um, And they're everywhere. It's not just, they're not just limited to Minneapolis anymore. They're here in DC, as we saw. They're in Los Angeles. They're in New York. They're everywhere. So up until this speech Monday night, we hadn't heard too much from the president in terms of his response to the protests. We'd had a few tweets from inside the White House, but this was his first moment really stepping out specifically to address the nation about these protests, right? Yes, it was. It was the first time we've kind of seen him. He has tweeted fairly extensively, as he always does, about the protests. But this was the first moment for him to step in front of a camera and address what was going on. So he sort of started by, you know, mentioning the death of George Floyd and saying how horrific that was. And then he moved quickly to denouncing the protesters and threatening very aggressive action using the military. Right. I want to read here what Trump said in part of his speech. The quote is, mayors and governors must establish an overwhelming law enforcement presence until the violence has been quelled. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. So first of all, Trump says that mayors and governors must establish an overwhelming law enforcement presence. Is he referring to local police departments, to the National Guard, to all of it? What does he mean there? Well, I mean, I would think he means all of it. In in the same speech, he talked about law enforcement and military, and we've seen the Justice Department, the U.S. Justice Department, deploy essentially all of its resources here in D.C., the normal people that you would see deployed to respond to protests. But the FBI, the DEA, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the FBI's hostage rescue team was on the scene here in D.C. So there's definitely one aspect that's the law enforcement functions of federal government. But President Trump also vowed to send in the military. He even said something to states like, I've asked you all to send your National Guards to, quote unquote, dominate the streets. And if you don't do that, I'll send in troops and handle it quite quickly. And and that sounds to me like active duty military personnel, not law enforcement who we kind of normally think of being on our streets, but military who we think of being deployed in places overseas. So for clarity on this, how does the National Guard portion of this work? Who has the authority over the National Guard? So I have to admit that I am not an expert in the National Guard and and even the U.S. military. I cover the Justice Department. But as I understand it, what has happened, why we have seen military in cities now is because governors have deployed the National Guard. They can control the National Guard in their states. What Trump is proposing here would be a step beyond that. He would be deploying active duty U.S. military, not National Guardsmen, into states, and including states 
states of governors who do not want active duty military in their states. So he's suggesting he would do so unilaterally. Yes, correct. He is suggesting that no matter what state officials wanted, he would come in and send in the military. Let's drill down on that a little bit. Does Trump have the legal authority to deploy active duty military personnel to states in order to quell these protesters, Americans on their own soil? Yeah, believe it or not, he does. So there's something called the Posse Comitatus Act, which generally prohibits the use of active duty military to enforce U.S. laws. So I think when this first happened, everyone is looking at that and saying, oh, my gosh, he can't do this. But there's another law called the Insurrection Act that essentially spells out some exceptions. One is if governors request it, that probably is not going to be the case here. Even after President Trump made this threat, you had governors going on TV and saying thanks, but no thanks. But there are a couple other exceptions that are pretty wide. And it's essentially if governors, if states aren't able to protect their citizens and enforce the law, the president can invoke this act and send in the military. And you've seen some examples of this throughout history. Most of them are around the civil rights movement. And I think the one that people might remember, older people might remember, is when during desegregation of schools in Alabama, the president then sent in federal troops there to force schools to desegregate. There was also an invocation of this act in 1992 during the riots in Los Angeles after the beating of Rodney King. But in that instance, the California governor requested it. So a little different than the situation we have now. Right. The the distinguishing characteristic of this circumstance is that Trump might suggest using it against the will of states, using military against the will of the states where he wants to send them in. Yeah, that's certainly what he was suggesting. I mean, if I read his comment correctly, he seemed to be threatening them. If you don't do this, I'm going to come in and do this for you. So if he decided to do this for them, are there any existing restrictions that can stop a president from invoking this law? Well, I mean, I guess I would say the law spells out what restrictions there are, but it's just it gives him such broad authority. I talked to a law professor named Stephen Vladek, and he was saying this is this is closer to the heartland of his power than other places where it's been rumored that he is going to invoke this act. Here you have civil unrest. That's kind of what is contemplated with the Insurrection Act. So certainly the the act itself is restricting, right? It has language that says this kind of circumstance is the one where you would you would use this. But if you talk to someone like Stephen Vladek, he would say this is pretty close to that circumstance. Yet it's unusual that we see it used in U.S. history. It has been used before, but not very often. Extremely unusual. So the Congressional Research Service did a report on this and and said basically since the civil rights movement, it has been very, very rarely used. The one instance that they cited was Rodney King. But again, that that was a move that was requested by the governor. So it's extremely rare. It would represent a very significant escalation of his authority. It would not likely be welcomed by governors. But all that said, it does seem that it's within his legal power to do. Even if it is within his legal power, what are the potential consequences of sending troops into states? 
Well, I mean, one incredible political blowback, which I think we've already seen, you had Vice President Biden and other Democrats alleging yesterday that President Trump was essentially threatening to turn the military against U.S. citizens. And that kind of rhetoric, of course, is extremely, you know, alarming. It speaks to the alarming nature of the situation. So there would be political blowback. You also already have protests in the streets, mass protests in the streets all across the country about that are in part about how law enforcement, how the government treats protesters. You've seen clashes in cities that are sometimes fueled by the police, as we saw in front of Lafayette Park yesterday, peaceful protesters being just forced away with horses and a flashbang. So I think sending in the military might provoke an even more aggressive response from the citizenry. You know, police, I used to cover a local police department, and there was always talk in situations like these about trying to de-escalate. If the other side just ups the ante and sends in the military, that certainly, to me, would not represent de-escalation. Given all of those potential consequences, do we have insight from reporting into why Trump wants to consider taking such drastic measures? Well, I think we have insight from what we can observe and sure from reporting to Trump sees himself as the law and order president. That That's actually exactly what he said yesterday. And he sees uh, benefit in just cracking down on protesters. That's been kind of the mantra of his administration from day one. I remember the day he was inaugurated, sitting in the newsroom and watching the speech he gave talking about American carnage and how he was going to return to the old school way of law enforcement. And then sort of right that very day the white house posted online these kind of this kind of platform of his and one pillar of this was not coddling, I think, what he called rioters and looters. So this has just long been his position that he's not going to welcome any kind of fiery protest. He says that he's on the side of protesters, of peaceful protesters, but in all of his rhetoric and now you see in his actions, he seems very intent on using force to crack down on any kind of violence that erupts because of these. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters? And why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. How at this point might state leaders react to actions from Trump to send the military into their states? Do they have any means of pushback? I mean, certainly they could sue, right? And I would expect, even though it seems like it is within his authority, they might do that. But given that it's within his authority, the answer might be, at the end of the day, no. The president is a powerful figure. I think if you look back to a lot of the actions this president has taken, he's shown you just how far he can take that with the travel ban and, and other restrictions. And I think if you were to look back to the civil rights movement and think, well, the Alabama governor could just sue to stop federal troops from enforcing desegregation, you would say, well, no one would want that. So this does seem to be within his power. I would expect governors will very vigorously resist 
resist this through political means. They will try to use legal means. At the end of the day, it does seem, just from talking to legal analysts last night, that it's within his power to do. And just to be clear, Trump hasn't done this yet. It doesn't appear that he's done this yet. I mean, you've seen you've seen military like this is complicated because the National Guard is involved. Right. So people, I'm sure, have all seen military in their cities. But that is the National Guard. Some of Trump's rhetoric has suggested I've deployed the military so far as we're sitting here speaking right now. That seems to refer to the National Guard. He has not as far as we can tell right now, invoked the Insurrection Act and actually deployed active duty troops. Okay, so just to wrap this up, to capture the rest of the scene we saw Monday night near the White House during the speech, the peaceful crowds that were forcibly pushed out of Lafayette Square, as we talked about earlier, that all culminated when President Trump finished his speech. What happened? So right after protesters are pushed out, which occurs as he's speaking, that they had started right before, and then as he was speaking, they're pushed farther back. Trump concludes his speech by saying he's going to go to a very special place. And and I remember watching, thinking kind of, what does that mean? And then he walks across the park and across this street, which just minutes ago was full of protesters and to this church where a day earlier a fire had been set in the basement. And there's this kind of very strange, I think the only way you can describe it is a photo op where he holds a Bible in one hand. He says, it's not his Bible, it's a Bible. Someone asks, you know, what he's thinking right now. He says, don't ask. Some photos are snapped. And then he walks back across the park and back into the White House. All right, Matt, thank you so much for your time. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Thank you so much for listening. The Washington Post is doing everything we can to bring you coverage of the coronavirus, of the nation's civil unrest, of this administration, and so much more. If you're able, one way to help support our work and get unlimited access to every scoop and story is to become a subscriber. Can you do that? Listeners get a special subscription offer at WashingtonPost.com slash CHDT offer. That's WashingtonPost.com slash CHDT, as in can he do that? Offer. Thanks so much for your support. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Ariel Plotnik with logo art by Loren Boglio and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. 